1: Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law.
2: Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. Now, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Now, because of my education and my training and my experiences and my life's observation and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice the related fields in my overall consumer and small business financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now with these areas of law as my reference point, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of my last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And uh, because I've I guess I'll always be a military brat, and I helped create one with my former spouse, who also was in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge about how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen, and women, and Marines, and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after they separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And I just got to say, I've heard from a bunch of you (laughs) in the last few weeks, and I am just so proud of what it is that you do to protect our country. So uh, if I can ever be of help, just reach out to me. And, you know, my other group of people, my other cohort that I really love and respect are old folks, especially now since I'm one myself. But you got to know where it comes from. When I was a little girl, I was so fortunate to both get to know and spend a lot of time with it, actually become great friends with both my maternal and my paternal grandmothers. And what I learned from them was economics, believe it or not, although neither one of them went to college and studied it, they just shared with me how they survived and even thrived in the four great economic challenges of the last century. That is to say, they were alive and kicking in the Great Depression and in World War II, and they had figured out some way to instill in me how to survive the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through and through our society today. And because these women helped raise me and they loved me and they shared with me the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South... As such is out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, along with my dad, urging me on to try to do the right thing. And when the situation is right, focus on attempting to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial adult and elder abuse that's running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money, and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your families or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in a non-threatening educational forum that the folks here at Salem make available to me so I can reach out to you. However, I once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provides you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debts, particularly and or your debts. Now, because inquiring minds need to know we're going to focus on the financial and economic issue that's all over the news today. And as I coined it, what's up with this debt ceiling nonsense? And why should us mere mortals even care about it? Well, first off, what is this debt ceiling anyway? Uh, Simply put, it is the total amount of borrowing our government can undertake at any given time. Or as is stated on the United States Department of Treasury website, which is found at home.treasury.gov forward slash policy dash issues forward slash financial dash markets dash financial dash institutions dash and dash fiscal dash service forward slash debt limits. (laughs) Now, that's a, a, a mouthful for you. And as I quote, the United States Department of Treasury says, the debt limit is the total amount of money that the United States government is authorized to borrow to meet its existing legal obligations, including Social Security and Medicare benefits, military service member salaries, interests on the national debt, your tax refunds, and other required payments. Furthermore, the website goes on to say, the debt limit does not authorize new spending commitments. It simply allows the government to finance existing legal obligations that the Congress and the President of both parties have made in the past. Failing to increase the debt limit would have the uh, catastrophic economic consequences. It would cause the government to default on its legal obligations, an unprecedented event in American history that would... uh, You know, basically precipitate other financial crises and threaten the jobs and savings of every American, putting the United States back in a deep economic hole, just as the country is recovering from our recent recession. Now, Congress has always acted when called upon to raise the debt ceiling. Since 1960, Congress has acted 78 separate times to permanently raise, temporarily extend, or revise the definition of the debt limit. 49 times under Republican presidents and 29 times under Democratic presidents. Congressional leaders in both parties have recognized that this is a necessity. So we should think, we mere mortals again, should think of the debt limit as, I like to say, the government's charge card ceiling, reflecting like yours and my credit limit for the purchases that we've already made and the food that we've already eaten and the drinks that we've already imbibed or the trips that we went on, the vacation trips we went on, and or we purchased a dress that we took on vacation and we wore that dress and spilled some of the food and drink on it. And sent it to the cleaners when we got back home and paid the cleaning bill with the same said credit card. For well, you see, the credit limit is different from the budget that we should have put in place before we even thought about going on vacation, knowing that we'd have to satisfy the payment of that vacation once we got back home. And then we'd have to pay for. It. We'd have to figure out how we're going to pay for this vacation, the air travel, and the hotel, and the taxis, and the food, and the drink, and the new clothes we're going to take with us when we got back home and we opened our bill up from Bank of the X or Y. Now, the same distinction applies to our federal government. Each year, Congress and the President pass a prospective, that is to say, forward-looking budget based on our priorities at the time and as projected. As such, the bills for the expenditure Congress believes were necessary in the previous years have now come due. So, riddle me this, Batman. Why should certain members of Congress who voted for the expenditures of our government and the expenditures that they've already undertaken balk at paying the bills when they come due today? Isn't it just like Selwyn knowingly and willingly Charging her new clothes and her wonderful vacation on her bank of the X or bank of the Y charge card. Going on that vacation, wearing those clothes, consuming all that great food and drink. Going on excursion trips and checking out all the sites and then coming back home. And when the bill arrives, deciding that she's not going to pay because she's had a come-to-Jesus moment and realized she doesn't want to pay for her bills unless Bank of the X or Bank of the Y give her some concessions that neither one agreed to when she took out the credit. Well, good luck with Selwyn. You're going to go into default, and my missed payments will be reported to the credit bureaus and not only Bank of the X and Bank of the Y will draw down my credit to zero, along with all the other credit companies that check into the credit company, uh, credit rating bureaus. As such, not a single credit issue will, ch- will touch Selwyn with a 10 foot pole going forward. Likewise for good old Uncle Sam, if he stiffs his creditors. So, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the debt ceiling. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side.
1: Now, back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
2: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on the debt ceiling and the implications if we breach it. Now, when you or I attempt to access credit, say from Bank of the X or Bank of the Y, the creditor uses our credit scores that are actually algorithms projected by artificial intelligence-based engines that track our payment schedules and how we've handled credit, along with any other information they can dig up about us from the public or private sources to determine what bank of the X or bank of the Y believes is the maximum unsecured debt load we can manage broken down into separate categories after allocating an amount for our hard costs our monthly hard costs such as our housing and our food and our transportation and our insurance and the things that we need to raise our children. They all have algorithms based on that and they have an amount in mind. So for us mere human beings Our credit limits are determined by external entities who are beyond our control, viewing our income and expenses and the equity in our short- and long-term assets, if we have any. Now, our government, on the other hand, sets its credit charging limits for itself via Congress and the President, utilizing the Department of the Treasury as our fiscal agent that's responsible for managing our income, which according to the Tax Policy Center located at www.taxpolicycenter.org forward slash briefing dash book forward slash what dash are dash the sources dash revenue dash federal government. Now, those sources include the taxes that you and I, mere mortals, pay the Internal Revenue Service each year along with other income sources, which the Tax Policy Institute has determined to be. They say 50% of the federal government's revenues come from individual taxes, 50%, that's just human beings that suck air like you and me, and only 7% come from corporate income taxes. The other 36% come from payroll taxes, again, payroll taxes of, of human beings, and the funds for Social Security programs. That's that FICA that comes out of your paycheck. The rest of it comes from mixed sources, and it's a de minimis amount. Now, according to that institution, government revenues uh in income received from taxes and other sources to pay for its expenditures in fiscal year 2023, which started in September of last year and we're not quite halfway there, but uh there has been a total of one point zero three trillion collected by the government thus far. Now the total federal budget for the United States has recently run about trillion each year. In 2020, the total federal budget ran a much higher number, $7 trillion, because of the steps that the government took to address the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, you might not like the fact that the government spent that money but if you're still in your house and you still got food and you got shots that protected you from COVID, you should understand. But let's just say that our normal expenditures are $4 trillion and say that our normal income is around $2 trillion. There's a deficit of about $2 trillion. Now, because few of us have any idea of what a trillion dollars is, for example, just to put this in mind, one trillion seconds is about 31,000 years. The extinction of the Ice Age animals like the woolly mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger was only about 13,000 years ago, or less than half a trillion dollars. So... You can find out this example at www.nationalpriorities.org forward slash budget slash basics forward slash federal budget dash 101 spending. So of that up three to four to seven trillion dollars, it's three types of spending that our government undertakes each year. The U.S. Treasury divides all federal spending into three groups, Mandatory spending, discretionary spending, and money that are spent to make interest payments. Together, mandatory and discretionary spending account for more than 90% of all the federal spending and pays for all of our government services and programs upon which they rely. Interest payments on the national debt account for a much smaller amount than the other two categories. And there's this really great pie chart that you can see if you go to the website. Again, it's National Priorities. And I'm I'm, I'm breaking all this down to let you know, the reason why there's a debt ceiling is our government needs to make these payments. The largest amount are mandatory payments to Social Security and Medicare payments, which I'm sure... Uh, People who are over 65 like me and have been so for a long time have come to depend upon and would not like the government to not be able to pay those expenses. And so the delta between what we take in, uh, around $2 trillion, and what we pay out, let's say $4 trillion, is what we have to borrow. And, you know, until things get better, we're going to have to borrow it. We owe this money just the way Selwyn owed the money for taking the vacation. Now, maybe she shouldn't have taken a vacation, but she took the vacation and she has to pay for it. I am not making an observation about the mandatory spending other than as a person who is a senior and who love a lot of seniors, we don't want anybody messing around with our, our pensions, our government pensions. Our military spending and our Social Security benefit, which is what I believe some of the people in Congress today are looking at with um, uh, watering mouths trying to do away with it. So that's the issue. We don't make enough money to fully cover ourselves. But because in our Constitution, we say the full faith and credit of the United States is on the line, we are the um, epitome of how to manage a government's funding throughout the world. And if we default on our debt, if we do not pay our bills it will have monumental consequences. In fact, here's a letter that the Department of Treasury, the Secretary of Treasury, wrote to uh, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. She sent it out yesterday. Well, I'm recording the show on the 20th. She sent it out on January the 19th. And she says, Mr. Speaker, I write to keep you apprised of the actions that the Treasury Department is undertaking in regard to the debt limits. In my letter of January 13th, evidently the secretary is sending uh, communications with Congress on a weekly basis, back into the letter in my letter of January 13, 2023, I noted that public law 117-73 that means that it was uh, the law was passed with the 117th Congress as its 73rd act released the statutory debt limits to the level of 31.381 trillion about you know 31 trillion dollars. That's the debt limit in order to pay that delta between what we take in on an annual basis and what we are required to pay out. And I informed you that beginning on January the 19th, the outstanding debt of the United States was projected to reach the statutory limit of that 31 and some change trillion. This letter serves to notify you that pursuant to five United States Code section 8, three, four, eight, para one and two, that's how the government codes its laws, of the extraordinary measures the Treasury began taking today, which was Thursday, January the 19th. First, the Secretary says that she has determined that by reason of the statutory limit, I will be unable to fully invest the portion of the civil service retirement and disability fund not immediately required to pay beneficiaries and that a debt issuance suspension period will begin on Thursday, yesterday, uh, Thursday, January 19th and last through Monday, June 5th, 2023. She goes on to say, My predecessors have declared debt issuance suspension periods in similar circumstances with the determination the Treasury Department will suspend additional investments of amounts credited to and redeem a portion of the investments already made to the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund. She likewise says the same situation is going to be uh, undertaken for the Postal Service Retirement Benefit Fund. So, That means that not that these individuals who are retirees of the civil service or retirees of the post office will not get paid. It's just the ability to grow that fund by investing that money appropriately will stop during the next five months or so. Because we can't afford to invest money in our own government and have money for our own retirees. So... This is not a good thing to play around with the debt service. It it is not the, with the debt ceiling. We need to handle our debt service the way you and I would have to, and we need to let Congress know that we're not going to stand for this craziness. So I'm going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws that help us fund our country, pay our soldiers and sailors and airmen and women and and Marines, invest money so that we can retire and continue to get the amount of money that we need to take care of ourselves. Again, all of this needs to be guided by fairness and equity and good common sense. Okay? Take care. And here's to a better 2023 going forward. Bye for now.